0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the NerdWide Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. Now, Chris, how's your Christmas season been? How was your week?
1: It's been pretty good. We're back on normal hours at work, oh, so...
0: Gotta finally, love that.
1: Finally. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I've been just trying to adjust to that, and uh, and catch up on some stuff i've been wanting to watch so
0: now are y'all gonna stay um, on this schedule for the foreseeable future or now that christmas season's um, kind of winding down
1: we'll probably actually hit a, hit a bit of schedule where we uh we work partial days
0: mm, yeah. even better <laughs> i like those more
1: time at home <laughs> if that happens uh How's your week, man? Man, it was great.
0: Uh, Video Game Awards Thursday night. A lot of good things. We'll talk about at the end. Um, trying to think of anything. Of course, I was all Friday because I stay up late watching that, which was a shorter show this year, but still not bad. A lot of good announcements. I think one of the better shows, just because they did shorten it up a little bit. No Microsoft or Xbox, so that was a um, a little weird. But what? What can you do with all the Activision stuff? Which I think is the direct cause of that. But we will see in the coming future. It was alright. Nothing too crazy. nothing, Nothing too out of the blue. But speaking of out of the blue, got a lot of fun things to talk about. A lot of good DCU news. I know, I know every week we talk about something, but James Gunn just gives us so much and we can't help talking about it. But before we get into that, this is the NerdWide Podcast, episode 95. Don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting services of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up or YouTube or give us a good rating on whatever podcasting app you use. If you don't enjoy the show or you know something sounds off or anything like that, let us know down in the comments down below. We can't improve. We can't improve. Can't fix anything if you don't let us know what is wrong. If you want to go, to, if you want to do more, you can always go to Patreon.com/slash/Nerdwide. wine. 3 different tiers of monetary values for three different fun tiers of a bunch of different goodies. Of course, they go up in each price, and it's a lot of fun on the highest tier if you want to do that. Now, Chris, I want to know: you watched anything fun this
1: week? I finished American Horror Story mm. NYC. I mm. so got that done.
0: That's exciting. So next week we'll talk about it. Jamie's not here tonight, so I'll bring her on next week, and we will grab her in and we'll we'll discuss it. Well, you two'll discuss. It. I'll just kind of sit here awkwardly and just nod and you know, yeah. just well, just smile. I
1: mean, it could be good too because you haven't seen it, so you may ask questions. That,
0: mm. that brings other. Yeah, okay, I like that. Good call. Good call. Um, I've been watching Wednesday. We are three episodes away from being done. I think we have to watch episodes six, seven, and eight. And then I know you said the pre-show you're going to be starting it soon. I'm excited. It's a really good show. It might, I'm not going to give any future spoilers for next year. Um, and I've also been catching up on Chuck or finishing Chuck. I am on season four now. The one with his mom, which is it's the good stuff now, cause he's actually a spy, and him and Sarah are together, so it's not the whole will they, won't they nonsense. But and Morgan's actually everyone's involved. I, I like it. That's, but still, still coming up blank. A lot of these episodes, I have seen them twice now. I really don't remember that well. I'm like, oh, I forgot that happened, or huh, why'd that happen? And
1: so there's there's not a ton that I remember about the series finale, except. You know the final scene or two.
0: Oh, that that memorable. No.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. If if you followed the whole show, yeah. Hmm.
0: What's well, it's what's gonna be good for me? Cause I've been what well, the past two weeks starting from episode one, and I'm seeing all the little, I don't know, pieces fall into place that I remember. I'm like, oh, I mean, there's just something about it. It's just, oh, God, I love that show. Anyways, oh Wednesday, I meant to tell you, made by the same people of Smallville directed by Tim Burton and then Al uh, Al Miller and I forget the other guy that is Smallville wrote Wednesday so even better to tune in but we had a fun show this week's coming out Doom Patrol episode season four episodes one and two did not realize that those were both episodes but there were so we're going to jump into it we're gonna go back to a website we used to use for Doom Patrol called nerd and Beyond and this is by mal. Uh, of course, full spoilers for all of our shows we talk about on here and do for our weekly recaps. And the first one is called, is it episode called Doom Patrol? Yes, it is. Because, you know, it always does uh, patrol is in the title. And this one is actually Doom Patrol. Because, of course, they got their name last season. Blah, 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 blah. But we'll recap it here with a Mal. We start off with a, let's see, season three finale. Left them traveling three minutes into the future to fight a giant hairy scrotum in the Suez Canal. What does a season four opener have in store for the hapless band of the Doom Force heroes? The future. We begin the future according to a helpful caption. The future appears to be an abandoned, almost frontier-looking town. A hooded man stalks through the streets, and the camera shifts to show us a sign that didn't find the settlement as Cloverton. The town has seen better days, as it's definitely given a post-apocalyptic video game in this incarnation. The hooded man has a metal detector, and after sweeping it around, he starts digging. He finds a nice-looking watch, but tosses it in exasperation. Clearly, such things have no value here, or at least aren't what we were searching for. There's a noise, and the man's hood goes back as he readies for a fight revealing him to be Vic. There's a rumble and a shake and he falls down. We go to the present day where we see Dr. Harrison who took over from Jane as primary at the end of season three. She's recording voice, uh, voice memos on the team, observing them like lab rats and sharing her diagnosis of their diabolical mental states. Quote, recording 297 uh, observations of the Duke patrol by Dr. Harrison day 93. She begins. She is, as we all are astounded by the garden of psychological plights presented by this group. Her monologue makes it clear that she has been with the group for three months, meaning there's been a small time jump between the season three finale and now. Uh, They've been working as a superhero team named the Doom Patrol. Uh, Finally, thank God uh, Cliff let go of Doom Force. We see them attempting to stop a robbery at a bank. Notably, Cliff is out of his knockoff Transformer body and back in his standard Robotman vessel, minus a few rusty pieces, such as his right arm. Rita has carved out a starring role for herself as a team leader, though Harrison notes that it's only because no one else wanted the job. She has led the the busted Justice League on seven successful missions, despite a lack of cooperation, respect, or likely, likely basic manners from any of her teammates. They've also attached the brain to the time machine, giving them more control over their time-tunneling adventures, which takes us back to the bank, where the newly nicknamed Doom Patrol are doing an earnest hack job of trying to take down a gross 70 style villain with a dick gun. Rita tries to lead, but it's really not totally her fault that the rest of the team are perfect shitheads when they want to be. Doc Harrison declares that Rita tries to take control of the team's every move because she cannot bear to lose another loved one. Her diagnosis for Rita, a textbook perfectionist slash narcissist with survivor's guilt and PTSD. Yep, that's our Rita. All right. Cliff, she suspects, has a low IQ due to poor breeding, a Florida school education, and race car fumes. <laughs> His diagnosis is a grade A simpleton. Vic gets the grading description of, quote, the hero formerly known as useful, end quote, who is now the patrol's IT guy. Techless now, really keeps him out of harm's way, but he's unsatisfied uh, feeling so helpless. His feelings are only exacerbated by his lack of courage, chasing up on the bliss he'd promised himself after giving up his tech. Diagnosis, personality dysmorphia, and social cowardice. Larry and Keeg, at least, have been getting along well, and what Harrison postulates may be the first case of a host developing Stockholm, Central, Stockholm Syndrome towards its parasite. Larry still wishes for more, but at least he's let a glowing alien maggot baby do what humans in the negative spirit never, never could. His diagnosis is self-loathing with a healthy dash of codependency. Rouge's uh, memories keep returning no matter how hard she pushes them away and tries to make amends, reminding her of her betrayal of Malcolm and the Sisterhood. She tortures herself quietly but persistently. Her diagnosis is self-loathing doormat with sociopathic tendencies. Finally, we get a look at Jane making herself a coffin in Kay's memories while Harrison drives as per their deal at the end of Season 3. She claims she's searching for Kay, but Harrison suggests Jane is really hiding in the memories as a vacation from the pressure of being primary. We see Vic and his dad working on a new arm for Cliff. Vic confines his dad that it isn't as easy as he thought, living as a regular human without his tech. It turns out that they upgraded Cliff's arm, though. With nanites, that gave him a sense of touch. Overwhelmed, Cliff thanks Vic and Silas, giving them a crushing robot hug. Cliff decides that the first thing he wants to do is touch his grandson, so off the team go to apply jellyfish to their heads and time tunnel to Florida thought this was hilarious why jellyfish <laughs> this the stupid things of them getting shocked when rita puts them on their head or one of them touches it is this the stupid funny thing i love like this is the small little details i love about doom patrol and they were like we don't know why it works but it works and that's how it is <laughs> it's just dumb i love it um in route things get a little funky, a woman smacks into the Transformer Bot, bot adapted time machine, screaming and floating around in the time stream. Not just any woman either, it's Isabel Feathers, the Cleverton resident who played Rita in Our Town. The team leaves her and continues on to five minutes ahead Florida. They arrive, but it's definitely not five minutes ahead. The team disembark into the same apocalypse looking town we saw Vic digging around in during the intro. The patrol carefully explore but spring a trap that keeps them in a makeshift cage until future Vic appears. It welcomes them to twenty forty two. Old Vic tells the team about 20 years back, Cloverton became the epicenter of the butt Apocalypse. The Doom Patrol, uh, they killed all the sentient a-holes, but it seems the world was overtaken by zombie butts. The rest of the team are around, but keep to their rooms, except Rouge. Future Vic tells her that she moved out shortly after, but the butt brigade moved off. But he goes into Cloverton every day and has never seen a single survivor. The team scatter around the decrepit facility trying to piece together what happened with their future selves, who all appear by ghosts, by the way. Rita has to get through her own snark before her future self will even speak to her. Rouge manages to find a newspaper clipping that infers Laura DeMille was part of some attempted peace talks but no other mentions of herself. What she does find appears bafflingly to be blueprints of her time machine. Cliff finds out that he never got to touch his grandson. Dr. Harrison is told that her meddling and playing with the team like lab raps been, meant she didn't protect Kay and the girl is dead. Larry finds out that Key gets separated from a traumatized-looking future Larry. Finally, Vic stumbles into an area where Rouge is sorting through notes on the time machine, gagged, and partly bound. His future self, he says, is going to steal their time machine. Vic confronts himself. Uh, future Vic doesn't want to cooperate and let the Doom Patrol help avert his future as he is convinced they will just mess it up. Their conversation is interrupted by a wave of zombie But Instead of running, Vic tries to stay and fight with his future self, but the team wasn't having it. They dragged him back to the time machine through the window. We watch future Vic be overwhelmed as he writes something into the time machine. Back at the manor, Larry tries to get Keeg to show him what future Keeg shared with him. He offers uh, Keeg the opportunity to write him a note like the negative spirit used to, but Keeg runs hiding from him. Harrison and Jane have another chat where Jane admits that she was right before. She was hiding in Kay's memories because being primary is hard and she needed a break. But now she's seeing the future and she's going to get back out there and fight no matter what Harrison thinks. When Jane yells, Harrison turns to dust, revealing Kay in her wake. She yells at Jane not to follow her and Jane wakes with a bag of blank puzzle pieces at hand. After learning for future failure, Rita is packing away her leader's outfit when Rouge knocks on the door. She asks if a random seeing if, if it was random seeing Isabel feathers in the time stream. Rita isn't sure and Rouge says she's staying around now that they've seen the future. Despite Rita slamming the door and cursing, it's one of their better conversations so far. Vic pushes himself to reach out to old friends after finding a message card on the outside of the time machine of Shivar's future self, telling him that he cannot have it all. Cliff promises a, a picture of his grandson that he'll get to him, but first he has to st- stop the butt Finally, we see Willoughby Kipling in the Knights Templar. He's standing uh, with his ring-of-cloaked prophet friends at an altar, consulting with the Bunbury, who is still mad that Kipling got him the wrong bedding one time. The bunny brings them a photo, which Kipling questions, but the flora and fauna are never wrong. They don't make mistakes. Kipling says that the prophecy it only mentioned the butts. If the fo- if this photo is right, then in his words, they are all well and truly um, screwed. The camera pans out to show a fat- photograph of a field with a will rise carved into the landscape. It's <sighs> a great Hello. recap, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do like that the... Uh it was funny that the bait for the trap that Vic had set was buying a sausages and Skittles. And
0: Skittles. I just what makes them think that's brains, I don't know, but
1: <laughs> Oh it was it was a good episode though. I mean it right back in it. it. Yeah. And and I still can't get used to uh well now Doctor Harrison right, right. The, the bright blue contacts in her eyes. Yes. It's
0: true. I mean they did a real good job with this uh, episode especially like uh, CGI wise and effect wise which they do great between Titans and this anyways uh, but even more so in the second episode where the with the buttpocalypse is just crazy and it's believable and I'm like this is only in DC and only, they talk right, they you know refer to the Justice League and they're not like them and all this other stuff it's just such a a good adult Legends of Tomorrow. I know we've said that before, but it's it's great. And I also like how we balance real well all of these characters and their storylines. Uh where, you know, some shows don't do that well. Like you put an emphasis on one character and the other ones are kinda of just left behind. But it feels like everyone gets their time in each of the episodes. And like you're never you don't never get something that moves their story forward for each episode. Even if they are like not the the main thing but in all reality you think each story is the main story and you wouldn't be wrong so let's get into episode two of this season and i'm going to oh, this one is titled butt patrol the second episode starts in 2016 at Ant Farm. We watch as a man is placed into a bomb disposal type suit. He enters a room that looks like a stage set fitted with mannequins. The man places the vandalized mannequins with the new ones and nervously walking around the set. The scientists watch from a viewing platform as he tidies up. Suddenly the man notices a hole in the set and he races over to press the panic button. A gas is released into the room and an unknown monster attacks the man. His blooded corpse smears down the viewing glass. Back in the present the gang gathers uh gathers to discuss the impending apocalypse that they witnessed on their little trip to the future. Rita has been up all night researching and brainstorming ideas to prevent to prevent the end of the world. She proposes that they do the opposite of whatever they're going to do as it obviously didn't work in their alternate timeline, which my whole thing with time jumps and everything isn't that what you normally did, you know, it's I've always had an issue with that, but I'm sure I mean they talk about it really well in this one. Yeah. Uh Let's see. Rita wants the game to act differently. She, su- she su- suggests that Jane changes her wardrobe and Cliff swears less. Vic bravely suggests a change in leadership, though. No one wants Rita as their leader anymore. They vote her out and decide to give Madame Rouge a chance instead. Cliff summarizes that they need a villain to defeat this kind of evil. Rouge admits that this is a bold choice, but one she's also excited about. The gang argues as Rita defends herself, she believes the zombie uh, Darren Jones could be the source of the apocalypse and recommends they go and kill him for starters. It's Rita's plan, but Rouge is still preferred as the leader. She practically steals the plan, which causes Rita to stand down from this particular mission. Rouge uh, asks for one hour to prepare before they head off to Darren's farm. Rouge dismisses the gang like a schoolteacher and then speaks with Cliff in private. She wants to send him on a top-secret mission of his own to kill Darren alone without the other members. They cycle towards his farm in a sunny, idyllic uh, part of the countryside. Cliff gets nostalgic over a run car that he spots at the side of the road. He, re- he reiterates that his need to save his new hand for his family, although he's de- desperate to fix the rusted vehicle. I think that car will come back. I don't think that's just a throwaway kind of thing. Um, they spied Darren in his tractor and followed the zombie to his lair this whole zombie scene was some of the funniest TV for Doom Patrol and just reminded me of what Doom Patrol is because I laughed so hard when um, Darren and Cliff were talking to each other it's just some of the stupidest just funny stuff uh the series <laughs> reverts back to the ant form timeline and dr yu is brought into a better communicate with the butt creatures she's an odd ling- linguist who dances around the base in a kooky manner she's updated on the highly classified project it appears they've created an unstoppable weaponized monster yu needs to get through to them and see what they desire this is far from the splendor of dennis villalueva's arrival though as yu is introduced to the violent aggressive butts Sometime later, Yu worked her magic and managed to communicate with the beasts. She dresses them up and orchestrates a dance number to show the general just how advanced these creatures are. It's supposed to be a hilarious little display of the show's broad humor, but the endless butt jokes soon lose their novelty. I disagree with this author's uh, statement because I laughed a lot. Yu explains to the general that these are a highly intelligent species who can socialize and bond with one another. The general bangs on the glass, which irritates the creatures, and this demonstration is fruitless they want to weaponize the creature anyway and reassign you to a new department. In the present, the gang waits for Rouge's plan. Uh, Vic hacks into the bureau and intercepts a transmission report on the zombie butts. Larry talks with Keeg, but the ent- entity flies away. Then Rita argues with Larry, calling him a backstabber, and Jane looks through her bank of puzzle pieces. Annoyingly, there are no corner pieces or edges. Vic realizes that Cliff and Rouge have ditched them already, and he decides to investigate the zombie creatures further. Jane asks to tag along. They meet a butt hunter in a park, and he hands over the last remaining zombie butt. Cliff and Rouge track down the zombie farmer and she orders the robot to kill him. For some reason Cliff can understand what the zombie is saying and he is saddened to hear that the zombie won't fight back. It is a mercy killing of sorts while Cliff wanted a proper fight. Rouge forces the zombies to fight. Zombie and Cliff to fight and of course Cliff coll- collapses Darren's skull with ease. His oven glove falls off though and his new hand is covered with zombie blood and goo. Cliff is distraught but they may have saved the world in the process. Very sad scene. Uh... Because he won his first touch to be his grandson, which is great and all, but it's it's a cold zombie brain, and just unfortunate. But
1: you knew it was coming, though. Kay? Yeah,
0: I, there was no way he's going to be happy. Uh, unfortunately for Brandon Feager, uh, <laughs> they return to the Manor. Where all the team members are depressed. Larry can't find Keeg, and Rita is still reeling from the deceit. Cliff and Rouge announce that they have killed Darren. Then Vic and Jane bring in the final zombie butt that's contained within a secure box. Cliff is ordered to kill this zombie, but he opens the box to rid the world of this disease. The creature looks quite frail in the box, and Cliff has a change of heart. He reflects in all the killing and the toll is taking on his psyche. Rouge watches Cliff's monologue from the side. In 2019, the zombie butts have escaped and are loose in the ant farm. Yu is informed that the exterminators are coming in to destroy the remaining beast, and Cliff is spotted in the background comically milling about from last season. Yu finds one of the butts cowering in a cupboard. Of course, this is Nicholas. This one, she has named Nicholas. In secret, she takes the creature back to her apartment. And could this be what causes the apocalypse after all? Of course, we get a scene right there at the end of him, of Nicholas eating and them singing um, in her apartment. And this article for Episode 2 was done from ReadySteadyCut.com by Adam Locke. Good
1: episode. Yeah,
0: I like this one. I think I told you the pre-show. I'd, the first one just didn't feel all there for me for Doom Patrol. But right. the second episode brought it together, and I'm I'm like, yeah, this is this is the show I love. It's just it's the dumb kookiness. I loved having Jane back. Um, I Man, I really don't like Vic just being normal, no tech i do not the biggest fan of that storyline, and he obviously doesn't get it back in 2042, but I don't know. Unless they change the, the future.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if they change in the future, he might. So. Awesome.
0: I'm ready for next episode. It looks like there was a preview on that website, and it looks like uh, Brandon Frazier's in his normal skin with a Christmas sweater on. So I'm curious what yeah. that's from or how that happens
1: got be a flashback. Yeah, it has to be. Oh. Mm. Well, um, unless he's dreaming or something
0: like that. Uh, could be dreaming, being like the Christmas spirit or something. Because I doubt we'll yeah. get an episode. I know we'll get one this week. I doubt we we'll get one the next week because of Christmas. We might yeah. though. I really don't know. This show, we got one on Thanksgiving with Titans. So, who knows, <laughs> really. And then our last show to talk about, which was the penultimate episode of Santa Claus's Episode 5. We're going back to Showbiz Cheat Sheet by Julia Zerrelay for this one. And Chris, I have been thinking all week long, who could the hand on the shoulder be? We thought St. Nicholas. uh, But man, listen, technically we were right. St. Nicholas in this episode. (laughs) But I don't know why. Why I could not fathom it was Bernard. My co-worker at work, she's watching it. And we were talking about it. And she goes, we think it's Bernard. I said, oh my god, that's it. You're exactly right. It is Bernard. Because I remember him. We even talked about it, him coming back onto the show. And I wish it only wasn't for one episode. But that's okay. Of course, we're going to full spoilers for the Santa episode 5. Titled Yuleverse. Love that name, by the way. I know there's a whole big plot point around that. Still love it. Um... So, let's start right back into it. This is one of my favorite episodes of this whole show. Um, Just to keep that in mind. Bernard is back. He asks Santa if he missed him, and of course the answer is yes. He hasn't seen him in years, especially since Bernard fell in love with a human and gave up eternal youth. Scott Calvin knows why he's there. He's there to save Christmas. Unfortunately, that's not Scott's job anymore. After freezing the Calvin family, Bernard takes Scott to see the the 17th Santa, who brought joy during the Great Depression. He traveled to see other Santas through history, including Krampus, St. Nick, and the Santa that fell off his roof. They see a memory of a selfless young Scott as well. Beautiful. Like, this was almost like a Ghost of Christmas Past kind of episode. Like, a little hint in there.
1: That, they Krampus in too.
0: that was so funny. <laughs> Dude, it was great. Like, just a small little piece, and he came back later for another little piece, and it was great. I just, I really enjoyed this one. One uh, Santa explained that each Christmas figure is chosen based on the time period's needs. Based off of technological advancement, Scott Calvin was chosen as the first human Santa Claus. Thanks to Miss, Mrs. Claus, though, his children were given magical powers, which was how it was supposed to be done, which blew my mind. That's little whole piece that, hey, we were all, you know, creatures, and you're the first human one, and that was designed and not perfect. They were the whole thing of, which we talked about earlier, that. Um. That oh, well, Tim, um, I can't think of his name.
1: Tim Allen. Tim
0: Allen. Yes, said on Jimmy Fallon that he was going to that the show was wrapping up all those loose threads and questions people's had from the first three movies, especially about the the one that fell and things like that. And we got that was designed and it wasn't a. He goes. Do you, he goes. I'm on hundreds of houses a night. You think I fell on per uh, on accident? And it's just so beautiful. Find out she was the first Mrs. Claus, uh, technically. Uh, and it's just, and we had that theory that his kids were going to be the next Santa Claus, and that's how it was going to be. It's going to be a bloodline of Santa Clauses, and sure enough, we were right, Chris. I mean, it just it's it's good to be right, you know. And I saw exactly how this was going to go. I'm curious about Riley, Cal's uh, girlfriend, to see how that storyline progresses, but. Oh, Mrs. Claus. Well, should be the next Mrs. Call? So we keep doing a new season every year? I mean, I'm down for it. I'd, yeah. I mean, it'd be good. I'm okay with this. I love this show. It needs to be a little bit longer. Um, Let's see. Scott Calvin returns the North Pole to save Christmas. Meanwhile, the North Pole is short-staffed. Uh, Betty resorted to making toys, particularly for one, uh, for only one boy who mailed in his list. Simon says thanks to his new vision, he won't need a person to deliver toys anymore. Scott Calvin finally has a wake-up call. He tells Bernard and the Santas he'll go back and fix it. He goes home first to grab his family. Carol wants to keep her new name and new life. Scott also tells his kids they might have powers, which they laugh at. Which is just funny to me because wouldn't you realize you have powers? But especially his
1: daughter, his daughter does. Yeah. His daughter realizes it.
0: So it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it oh, I love it. Like they kind of split their powers away. It was, it was good. Anyways, uh, once he says that the elves were disappearing, though, they immediately agree and they did that same joke callback from earlier. So, well, why didn't you lead with that? Because they would have left earlier. Um, they run upstairs to pack, and at that time, Scott and Noel secretly leave for the North Pole. With a dwindling magic supply, Simon's delivery system might not even work. There's some magic in the workshop thanks to his daughter. She's thinking about her mom and how Christmas was her favorite time. Noel and Scout Calvin break, uh, Scott Calvin break up with Noel searching for Betty and Scott searching for Simon. The rest of the Calvin family is angry. Scott ditched them, however, thanks to Cal's vortex vision... And Sandra's crazy idea of a flying horse drawn sleigh, they find a way home. After talking with Grace, Betty disappears before Noel can find her. Scott finds a security room with Gary, but they get cornered by a drone. Simon puts them in a jail cell and takes the orb just as the remaining Calvin family breaks into the North Pole and it ends.
1: <sighs> I think Noel had one of my favorite little lines in the whole episode. When he walks in, he's like, hey, I got ice cream. I didn't need any either. Yeah. Some of the cartons already came liquid. Yeah,
0: Weird, huh? <laughs> he's he's one of those fun ones. And I hate that Betty disappeared right when he rounded the corner. So that lets me know these characters are coming back, though. And we did find out they're disappearing because uh, Christmas spirit is low. Once the elves, yeah. you know, with no Christmas spirit, nothing keeps them alive. And that's how they're born. Uh, I love the, the council of, what do they call it, the... They talked about the Santa verse. They talked about um, Yule verse. That it was really yeah. funny. Um, this whole episode. Um, curious to see how we wrap this up in a thirty minute episode. Hopefully the last episode is not thirty minutes and it's like an hour long special. But I am curious to see how we wrap this up with one episode left. Because I feel like yeah. there's a lot that's not that needs to be talking about. That needs its time to be talking about. But we'll see when we get there. I guess.
1: Do you think we uh, we get a scene where we see the um, the Santa suit coat flying in, and it and we think it's going to land on uh, Scott, and instead it veers off and lands on
0: Cal? Mm, that would be good because that would be a way to keep them where they want to be—the kids, and yeah. Scott and uh, Mrs. Claus—to have their own life again. But they brought that up that they. They thought we we're gonna have Christmas together for the first time this year. And he said oh, he's kind of dismissed. He said we'll do it next year. I'm just like, oh,
1: that's. we we know we know Cal's going out on the uh, on Christmas Eve yep. because he told his girlfriend that he'll come down the chimney. Can we
0: have a young Santa Claus though? I don't know. So I mean, that's I think it's a good point though. You're foreshadowing him coming down as Santa Claus though, because he told her to wait up for for him. So I wonder how that works maybe he lives a normal life through without the year and then on christmas time he comes back and while his sister is doing the day-to-day stuff up at the north pole kind of thing or how that works i'm not sure so there's a lot that needs to be answered and i'm sure we'll get that answer but until then yeah eventually hopefully i believe it's next week the last episode should be The only news I've got from TV is the final season of The Flash premieres on February 18th, 2023. I believe I will probably be doing my due diligence and watching it live. I'm going to try. I hate watching CW shows live just because I like to binge them. Because I feel like they're more binge-worthy than they are episode-worthy. But that's just my professional opinion, I guess. Or personal opinion. And releases this week, Wednesday, December 14th. National Treasures spin-off, Edge of History, launches on Disney+. And it's all good for TV. I can finally stop and take a drink.
1: <laughs> we watched the National, History show, or not National Treasure show.
0: I, mean, I think we... <laughs> I'm trying to think. He... Mm, because we'll have Doom Patrol, Santa Claus's, and the National Treasure, or National, yeah, National Treasure next week. That should be fine, unless they do a double episode, this could get real lengthy, because I expect to have some big DC news this week. Yeah. Um. Let's plan for it, and we'll, okay. we'll kind of gauge it.
1: Because I know that we both like the movies. Yes,
0: so. l- love the movies, so I'm really excited about this too. Okay, yeah, let's plan for it, and we'll reconvene later in the week and see how it is.
1: All right, so film. Did you watch anything else other than our movie of the week?
0: Uh, no, nothing this week. Uh, no, I watched bits and pieces of Elf, but yeah. other than that, that was it.
1: Um, yeah, same here. I was watching American Horror Story to finish it up yeah. in the time that I had. So, mm. um, so our movie for the week was 1989's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation.
0: Christmas uh, Vacation. I get that song stuck in my head every time I hear it. Love so it.
1: I thought about just doing the brief synopsis on IMDb, but I'm actually going to go into the plot synopsis, which is really detailed. That's
0: perfect. Hey, it's, it's an old movie. So. We,
1: we could just react as we get to stuff. Mm. Because, uh, obviously, Obviously, this opens with a two-minute animation of Santa arriving at the Griswold family house, uh, putting presents under the tree, and everything that can go wrong for Santa at that house goes wrong for Santa. Um, Poor guy's getting hit on the head with bricks and (laughs) all all kinds of stuff, right? So uh, they open with Clark, played by Chevy Chase, and Ellen, played by Beverly D'Angelo, singing Christmas carols in the car on the way to a Christmas tree lot out in the country as Audrey, Juliet Lewis, and Rusty, Johnny Galecki, are increasingly uninterested in Clark's plan to put on the perfect Griswold family Christmas. Clark gets into a dangerous game of cat and mouse with some truck drivers after he's cut off and flips them off. This ultimately causes Clark to veer the car off the road and jump over 500 feet as the, <laughs> the perfect tree... Rusty reminds Clark he forgot to bring us saw. Uh, back home as Clark gets out his gets out his Christmas decorations and begins setting up the tree, he makes an off color joke to his pretentious shuffy neighbor Todd about where he'd <laughs> like to put the tree. That night the excess the excess sap causes Clark to stick to everything that he <laughs>
0: Little seppy Little yeah. seppy <laughs> The, the quotes the from this movie. movie is like there's they're, no, they're quotes that I say year round. Like, when it gets cold, I like, yeah, it's a little nipply out here. Nibbly, nibbly.
1: (laughs) That whole whole scene's funny. (laughs) That's so Uh, good.
0: We'll get there, we'll get there.
1: Yeah, the rest of the movie is told through the style of an advent calendar. Starting with December the 14th, uh, the Griswold family is at a busy department store buying Christmas presents. Clark can be seen hitting on department store Mary, played by Nicolette Scorsese, in front of his son, Rusty. That night, Ellen's parents and Clark's parents arrive at the house. Now, this scene in the department store, he's completely nervous, right? Mm-hmm. He's got on, like, a button-up sweater. It looks like nothing underneath. Mm-hmm. And he's just stammering and giggling and everything else, and he's starting to sweat, and he's at the lingerie counter, and he picks up something to wipe the sweat off his forehead, and that's a pair of panties, Yeah. he's just there, and he's he goes he's,
0: rest he's, rest, yeah. <laughs>
1: and, and his son sees him and comes up, and it takes him a minute before he realizes that there's his son. There. Oh
0: man! They, they,
1: they don't show it, but you figure some blackmail occurred. Yeah, of course there has to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she, by the way, the uh, department store department store Mary does make another appearance in the film in a. A sequence very reminiscent of Fast Times at Richmond High hmm. um, for the pool scene there. So uh, December the 15th, that night, Clark reveals to Rusty his plan of illuminating the house with some 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. Audrey tells Ellen her plan of sleeping in the same room as her brother, sick and twisted, and ask, if, and ask her if she slept with her brother. Ellen tells her she sleeps with Clark. <laughs> harsh. 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 <laughs> December the 16th. Clark sets about eliminating the house with some 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights and a few other decorations, like a plastic Santa. His first attempt at setting the lights up ends in near disaster, with several broken windows and Clark stapling the sleeve of his shirt to the roof. The uppie neighbor Todd and his wife Margot, played by Julia Louis Dreyfus. Are complaining about Clark destroying their stereo and carpet in the process, and that was that was funny. Uh, the rain gutters had water in them, and it had frozen. Mm-hmm. And so, when the gutter starts to come off the house, he's he's hanging from the gutter. The this spear of ice goes through the neighbor's window and just
0: <laughs> destroys <out>. the audio. <laughs> I love it. it. Goes, why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margot. This is so great. That's just a stupid quote, dude. Oh, uh, um, Listen, if all movies to redo or have a sequel to, why don't we ever get one of this one?
1: Right. Well, don't redo it.
0: Yeah, don't redo it. Just give us a sequel. Give us something.
1: But Chevy Chase has to be on board. Yes. And recast it. Uh, December the seventeenth, Clark is at a potentially very important meeting with his boss, Mister Shirley. Played by Brian Dole Murray. He believes this is the key to landing a bigger holiday bonus. He and his associate Bill discuss what they're planning to do with their bonuses. Clark reveals he's going to put in a swimming pool. He also says he's already made a $7,500 down payment. Mm. Mm. And we find out later on that he didn't have the money. He wrote the check for the amount. Even though he didn't have that much in the account yet cause he's counting on the bonus.
0: No. Classic. <laughs>
1: Don't do that, kids. No,
0: that's uh, not smart.
1: No. December the 18th, Clark is nearly finished setting up the 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights as he makes for his big presentation. He finds there's something keeping the big display from powering on. Slater revealed a switch in the garage is what's keeping the display from turning on. And, and this whole thing, man, with He's trying to figure out what it is. And then, um, uh, Barbara. Mm hmm. All right. She just
0: flips the switch. Uh, dude, what's funny to me, though, is the tens and tens of outlets and everything plugged in on top of each other to that switch. It just makes me chuckle because like, there's so many things wrong with that. But of course, Clark just, you know, has to light up the world. Yeah. <laughs>
1: December the nineteenth, Clark goes to hide some Christmas presents he bought in the attic and discovers he simply forgot about several some that he simply forgot about several years ago. Unfortunately he's locked in the attic and the family thinks he disappeared, working on getting the light display up and running. They <laughs> give up on trying to find Clark and head for the mall. Now trapped in the attic, he passes the time watching old family reels of Christmas past. At night Clark is desperate to get the lights working. As the Griswold house is illuminated, it causes a massive power surge that requires the city's auxiliary power to be turned on. <laughs> As the family stares in awe, the neighbors nearly destroy their house and Clark is stunned by the sudden and completely unannounced arrival of Cousin Eddie. Mm-hmm. My
0: Eddie. favorite.
1: And his family and dog. <laughs> like and it's, is,
0: uh, I've got quotes pulled up. This is pr- one of my favorite ones. Like They're all great. They're There's so many to scroll through. But it's, this here's our pride and joy, snots We named him that because he's got his sinus condition. Snots, you roll over and let your, un- your Uncle Clark scratch your belly. It's just some stupid yeah. stuff, dude.
1: Yeah. I love to, and they don't mention it in that bit of recap, but when he's in the attic, uh, they get home and Barbara goes to open the attic. He's <laughs> on the attic. Floor. Why?
0: That just makes no sense to me. Half this movie, it so just <laughs> makes no sense.
1: Drops straight out of
0: like, right at a touching moment during the Christmas thing, he starts to cry, and sure enough. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: December 20th, the Griswolds decide to have some weekend fun and go sledding. <laughs> it's great. Clark reveals his big project he's been working on with the chemical company, the Experimental Kitchen Lubricant. He greases up his sled and sails down the mountain at an unusually high speed, electrifying everything in his path. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great scene too. Yeah. Because... And, and you see the sled later, when Eddie's going through the garbage at the mm-hmm. curb, and he picks it up. Giant, goes, hole. Yeah, <laughs> giant hole. Yeah, giant hole. He was on fire. Was like fire. <laughs> uh, December the 21st, Clark still can't believe Eddie crashed the party, and is stunned that he's emptying a chemical toilet out into the sewage drain underneath his house, which is not directly drained to the ocean. Eddie discovers the experimental lubricant that Clark had applied to the sled had nearly destroyed it. While he and Eddie go shopping, Eddie reveals to Clark he's flat broke and the RV is actually his real house. Clark then offers to get Eddie some Christmas presents. Um, of course, Eddie's uh, emptying his RV to mm-hmm. so come back later, as <laughs> usually stuff like this does. <laughs> Uh, December twenty second. Back at work, Clark reveals to his associate Bill it's his last day of the year. He drops off his Christmas present to his boss, Mr. Shirley, who doesn't seem too grateful about all the presents he's getting from employees. They're all the they exact fight. same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: just put it over there. The other. And yeah, they're all the exact same. Um, this is also where Clark finds out Bill got has already gotten his his bonus. It's mm-hmm. already shown up. December 23rd, Clark seen staring out the window at his future pool, fantasizing about department store Mary, who's appearing to give Clark a memorable daydream striptease. He's quickly interrupted by Eddie's daughter, Ruby Sue, who thinks he's Santa. She tells him she believes Santa isn't coming. Clark reassures her the opposite is going to happen. Eddie tells Clark he's not leaving till January 1st. Um, um. Ruby Sue's definitely her father's daughter. Yes. I mean, You've met your Uncle Clark. Mm Mm-hmm. That's him standing at the window. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) December 24th, it's finally Christmas Eve. The rest of Ellen's elder relatives arrive. Griswolds finally get to reward the fruit of their efforts to put on the perfect Christmas Eve dinner with a 20-pound turkey and all the trimmings. Uncle Lewis has Clark's eighty-nine-year-old Aunt Bethany say grace, but Bethany, due to her age, has a very limited memory, <laughs> and instead recites the United States <laughs> pledge. The, the looks
0: of course, between yeah. all of them are so funny. Like it, it makes yeah. me wonder if that was she improvised that, yeah. and because um, everyone, like everyone's, like a genuine confused look, that everybody goes into it. It's just some of the funniest things.
1: <laughs> and if she did improv it. Kudos to Randy Quaid. Right. Because he stands up and just. <laughs> <you>
0: know, <laughs> just goes full into it. <laughs> um,
1: unfortunately, they left the turkey in the oven too long, and cutting into it means they had nothing but scrap meat. Eddie's Rottweiler snots drinks the water from the Christmas tree, causing it to dry out. He's also heard gagging on a bone while that's going on post-dinner uncle lewis lights up a cigar and incinerates the tree in the process clark desperate to reclaim his tree instead takes a chainsaw to one in his yard and bethany's cat which she had wrapped up and intended to give to one of the griswold relatives can be seen chewing on a strain of lights on the christmas tree and incinerates itself so good uh, well, even earlier, when she first hands them the presents, he's like, "This one's making noise." Mm-hmm. And they Is this one leaking? Wrap <laughs> <laughs> she wrapped up her Jello mold. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you you could see it coming. I mean, mm-hmm. with the cat, you know, he's sitting there chewing on a string of lights, and Clark goes to plug them in.
0: hmm <laughs> Oh, is that the cat? Oh God, it was the cat.
1: <laughs> um. Post-dinner, Aunt Bethany notices a squeaking noise made. It turns out the tree that Clark just brought in is the home of a live squirrel. (laughs) Chaos ensues. Snots chases the squirrel around the house, destroying lots of objects in the process. A frustrated Clark informs the family no one's walking out on Christmas, despite the fact it's become a total disaster. He then takes the chainsaw to the staircase and fixes the null post. Finally, having enough of Clark's madness after Clark destroys another window in their house, yuppie neighbor Margot finally goes over to the house to take some action and punch Clark in the face. As she approaches Clark, she's greeted by the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a battered Margot goes back home and punches Todd in the face instead. Um, th- <laughs> that was a nice scene. I like that they did that. Mm-hmm. With her getting the score, squ- the squirrel leaps onto her and then. The dog knocks her down, and she punches Todd because Todd didn't want to go over there. Yep. So, th- that relationship's over.
0: <laughs> not, not a good Christmas for them.
1: <laughs> no. As the family begins to clean up the disaster, Clark gets an envelope. He reveals to the family his plans of putting in the swimming pool, and if there's even money left over, he'll fly the rest of the family out to dedicate the pool. During the cleanup process, Eddie discovers the remains of Aunt Bethany's cat and jokes about it spending all of its nine lives. (laughs) The envelope contains what Clark presumes to be his Christmas bonus. Unfortunately, it's a check for the Jelly of the Month Club. Clark goes berserk, telling his family he would like his boss in front of him with a big ribbon tied to his head, and Eddie disappears. Mm -hmm. And we know where that's going. Later, the family's gathered around for the traditional reading of the classic story, Twas the Night Before Christmas, Clark Stag Clark Sr. officially passes the torch to Clark to read the story as it's his house and his Christmas. Mid-story, Clark notices Eddie with a rather familiar-looking man heading toward the front door. It's Clark's boss, Mr. Shirley. Eddie had fulfilled Clark's wish of wanting his boss to tell exactly how he feels about the bonuses getting cut. This causes the boss to have a change of heart after seeing how it affects his employees firsthand, but not before his wife and the Chicago SWAT team.
0: <laughs> so good.
1: Yeah. Uh, after all the dust has settled, the family and the Chicago SWAT team are all gathered outside where Uncle Lewis lights his cigar once again. The sewage that Eddie emptied from his chemical toilet in the RV <laughs> caused a radioactive glow. Uncle, Louis, Uncle Lewis drops the lighter and that creates an explosion that launches the plastic Santa in the air. Witnessing the explosion, mistaking it for fireworks and thinking it's July 4th instead of December fourth <laughs> Aunt Bethany begins singing the U.S. National Anthem
0: and everybody <laughs> joins it <in> kills me <laughs> it's just so dumb
1: the fighting and joins Aunt Bethany singing the National Anthem and the SWAT team join in too the movie ends with them finishing the anthem and begins singing Christmas carols and Clark looking up at the radioactive Santa flying through the sky. <laughs>
0: dude that's great
1: <laughs> this was uh i don't know I've, I've seen this a handful of times i think you have too. we um, we
0: watch it every year for christmas
1: and it's just it's it's such a good movie yeah it really i mean it's five stars
0: yes that's exactly what i gave it <laughs> I mean.
1: yeah um like you said there's so many little lines in there there's they it's it's interesting too that they kind of homage some of that like I mentioned the the pool scene that he's imagining is kind of tied to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a cult classic film in and of itself. And it's just I think so many of the of the references that you get, especially in modern comedy Christmas movies, come from this. Mm-hmm. There's little references here or there. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's a, um, one of those cult classic movies. It's just, I love it. I wish they would do a sequel, somehow, yeah. some way. I mean, they they have to.
1: Or even a limited series like.
0: Right. You know,
1: uh, next week we're gonna do a Christmas Story Christmas, which is on HBO Max. That is a sequel. Mm-hmm. To a Christmas Story, which if you haven't seen that, watch. Which I, I
0: haven't seen time that time. in a couple of years. We might watch that first, because I have not seen that in a little bit.
1: You'll shoot your eye out.
0: <laughs> Just in the uh, lamp lampshade. Yeah. Oh. The <laughs> For Gilly, what does that mean?
1: Fudge. <laughs> Except I didn't say Fudge. Yeah. <laughs> um in news. The flash has been moved forward a week to premiere on june sixteenth, twenty twenty three. I think this puts it head-to-head with a Pixar
0: film? I'm sure it does. That wouldn't surprise me. This is going to bomb. Uh, there's no way it doesn't bomb. I think that's why they
1: moved it. I yeah. really do. Put it head-to-head with something so you have a reason for it. Mm-hmm. No Couldn't
0: could be for the child predator, the kidnapper, or anything like that, right? Right. Couldn't be because of that. <laughs> but
1: that's that's. Uh, that's. And, that's and
0: I told Jamie this when all of this news broke. And this was like the first time it came out. I told her, there's a, there's a reason they haven't canceled it. Like they would have Batgirl or anything like that. And I truly believe it's a jumping point for the rest of the DCU. As far as it setting up multiple timelines and universes and everything. And I think that's the only reason it's going forward. Because it's easier to explain it. And they've already made it. I mean, it's, sure it costs a lot more than Batgirl. But still cost Batgirl still costs a couple million. So, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of.
1: Surely there has to be a scene, though, there where they're explaining the timelines, and they could just reduce it down to half an hour and put it on HBO Max. Yeah, and just call it a day. <laughs> Here, here's, here's what we're going forward with. Right. Um, Black Adam is projected to lose 50 to $100 million, making it a box office lot. Oops. Uh, <laughs> the
0: this... hierarchy of power didn't really change it, did it? <laughs>
1: no. Variety. Uh, and Rebecca Rubin. Box office bus, Black Adam faces theatrical losses. Uh, Black Adam's hardly been given a hero's welcome in its box office run, generating just $387 million globally after seven weeks on the big screen. It may seem like a lot of coinage, especially in COVID times when movies of all shapes and sizes are struggling to reach pre-pandemic grosses at the box office. But Black Adam, a comic book adventure starring Dwayne Johnson as a villain who once promised to change the hierarchy of power in the Warner Brothers DC universe, didn't come cheap, costing $195 million to produce. And a big-budget movie led by Johnson, one of the biggest movie stars in the world, who plays against type here as a murderous anti-hero requires a worldwide marketing spend spend of 100 million according to knowledgeable individuals insiders at Warner Brothers pushed back saying COVID related box office limitations led the studio to scale back no. the global advertising campaign to 80 million I don't believe that
0: for are in a post COVID world
1: I saw more advertising for Black Adam Yes and maybe any of the movies. It's been 12
0: gone. years of advertising and then the past three or four years when they were actually filming it. So,
1: Yeah. What, what ad- did
0: he even have like a Super Bowl ad too I think? I think and did, yeah. and I'm like mm, no nah, that's that's not a good excuse. Y'all going to have to do something better than that.
1: Yeah. As a result the film needed to earn around $600 million worldwide to break even and surpass that lofty benchmark to turn a profit according to sources familiar with the financials. Yet Box office experts believe Black Adam will stall out with less than 400 million globally, which is problematic since movie theater owners get to keep around half the sales. So it stands to lose 50 to 100 million in its theatrical run. Mm. Now, and, and and to to put this another way, that makes it look worse, right? Um. You take recent Marvel movies. They've earned in a week or first week, first weekend, what this has earned in seven weeks.
0: Which is not good. No. <laughs> Even for like a, with Dwayne Johnson helming it, that's still not a good look. And No.
1: Well, and, you know, we, so we reviewed uh, Elvis not long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think in three weeks, it did over $300 million. Mm-hmm. That's and it's tough. not, it's not a superhero movie. It's not that, that niche film that you think has that built-in—it has certainly that had a built-in audience all its own, right? But it's not the superhero audience. They are putting this on HBO Max December sixteenth. Uh, we're not gonna cover that right away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna let it breathe a little bit.
0: Christmas is gonna come first, you know.
1: Yeah, Christmas and then uh, Glass Honey Yeah.
0: yeah. Which I'm excited. Glass of Onion for our first movie of the year, two review. is going to be fun. Especially yeah. with how good the first one was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, more DC news. Huge news. As Tyler <laughs> put it in, in the notes. Huge. Huge. Uh, Wonder Woman 3 is not moving forward. Excellent. Woman with, with Gal Gadot. we, we presume.
0: So, have you heard the. um... Pat, um, what's her name? The Patty, uh, Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. Did you see the uh, what the synopsis of the movie was going to be? No. So it hasn't been confirmed, but people that were close to the close to it all said that it was going to be that Diane was going to take Steve Trevor's body and put it in a Lazarus pit. The leagues of Assassins were going to try and use him and make him an assassin against her. She stops them, and she drops him, him off to Task Force X to become a part of the Suicide Squad. And I'm like, okay, I am glad that's not moving forward, because we do not need a third movie with Steve Trevor. She no. Wonder Woman has so many other projects that y'all can tie with yeah. or do things with. We do not need a third movie with Steve Trevor. But no. nothing's going to be as good as the first one. so.
1: That might have been better than 1984.
0: Right. (laughs) Because that one was horrible. Oh, God. Ruined Christmas that day. It did.
1: (laughs) Uh, Also, Aquaman is to be finished with Momoa possibly playing Lobo in the future.
0: I am A-okay with that.
1: Man of Steel 2 was in active development, but is unclear if it's moving forward. Um which would seem to go against all of the rumors that Cavill was coming back.
0: Well, it it goes with it. Like that it was an active development and then James Gunn and Safran right. came on and they're kind of like, we don't know if it's going to move forward or not. So Black we'll see.
1: Is unlikely. No.
0: No, oh, shocker. Not after that bit of news.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and let me pull up this tweet thread from James Gunn here. Which I like
0: oh. how... Uh, what trans um translucent? He's being with everything transparent. That's what that's not translucent. Thinking the boys, um, because it's he's keeping everybody, um, kind of aware but like you can't share everything, but he's he's keeping expectations what there should be.
1: So so he had a five post thread on Twitter, and it basically. Goes like this. So as for the story yesterday in the Hollywood Reporter, some of it's true, some of it's half true, and some of it's not true. And some of it we haven't decided yet whether it's true or not. (laughs) (laughs) This first month at DC has been fruitful. Building the next ten years of story takes time, and we're still just beginning. Peter and I chose to helm DC Studios, knowing we were coming into a fractious environment, both in the stories being told. And in the audience itself and there would be an unavoidable transitional period as we moved into telling a cohesive story across film tv animation and gaming but in the end the drawbacks of that transitional period were dwarfed by the creative possibilities and the opportunity to build upon what has worked in dc so far and help rectify what has not as for more answers about the future of the dcu i will sadly have to ask you to wait we are giving these characters and the stories the time and attention they deserve, and we ourselves still have a lot more questions to ask and answer.
0: Curious which ones are true, which ones are not real, you know. I'm going to say the Man still news is not real. He said that and a couple of because people ask questions all the time to him on his post, and he answers some of them. And they said, you know, what are you doing with Superman? Because someone said, you know, I heard you don't like Superman. And he said, completely false. He said, it's he is he, that, that is the priority. We have not had a Superman movie in like a decade. He said, Superman is a priority. And I'm like, mm, I'm okay with it. Keep Cavill. Because especially if Cavill quit Witcher <laughs> to come back and be Man of Steel, you, uh, you should keep him around.
1: What would be cool is if they did sort of... Uh infinite earths thing mm. super and had tyler hecklin I mean, had, had tom welling appear. here be a dream come true he could, he could come in uh,
0: well just for a small so, role we don't like him role well, for yeah. that guy
1: <laughs> and then they could even introduce someone new as well
0: right pass the torch kind of thing
1: uh, cancelled Batman movie with Michael Keaton was reportedly going to be Batman Beyond. That
0: infuriates me. Cause could you imagine a Michael Keaton being old uh, Bruce Wayne, and then bringing in Terry McGinnis or you know whoever for Terry McGinnis, I and mean, that would have been an excellent movie. Oh, that hurts my heart. So it,
1: it could be that that's one of the things that's not true. Yeah. Well, this was
0: cancelled a long time ago. So it's like one of those. How
1: much much of it is, you know? Could they come in and could they say, "Hey, um, we know that y'all canceled this, but we like the idea of doing it."
0: Right. Would you? I think Michael Keaton would come back for that. Yeah. Because I mean, he was supposed to be in Batgirl. Well, he was in Batgirl, and he's supposed to be in The Flash as well. So. I think he'd come back, to give that character justice
1: final bit of news Jackie Chan says Rush Hour 4 is in the works which of these news items is not like the (laughs) other
0: yeah I had to throw that in there because I'm really excited about it because they're working on it actively
1: releases this week on December the 16th in cinemas Avatar The Way of Water
0: I can't wait for that movie to flop so hard Chris I like Um, I want nothing more than that movie to flop because James Cameron is a pretentious dick and it needs to flop
1: I'm curious how it's going to do
0: mm-hmm. the, think... the premiere was this past week and the people that went said it was the most beautiful movie they've ever seen in their lives and all this other stuff and i'm like y'all said the same thing about the first one there's no way that it's not doing anything that's not new to this day and age there's just no way i could be completely wrong but
1: i think it took him too long
0: yes he, he lost it all and he said that if this one doesn't perform like it's supposed to it's not they're not going to release the other ones and I'm like okay I mean I don't it's a you're right and it's like cause he says it has to make uh, 500 million or something in box office to justify it and to make more it was, a, it was an outrageous number yeah. so I'm like uh, it'll do well in China I'm sure but I don't see this movie doing well here in the states, not as well as it did back in the past, like with Avatar being the num- the number one movie of all time. I don't see that happening. I don't see this beating like Black Panther. I don't see this beating some of our like Endgame. It's not going to beat, but like some of our higher movies that's up right now. I don't see it beating. We'll see though. I mean,
1: I'd be surprised. Yeah,
0: I'd be very surprised because maybe I just don't have my Finger on the the industry like I thought I did. If it does, so.
1: Well, Tyler is.
0: Uh... I'll tell Fury to simmer down. Sorry. <laughs> Getting a little antsy. Getting
1: a little antsy. He's a, he's a puppy. Yeah,
0: still a little pup. Yeah, he turns one I'm a next. i little. But... Yeah, <laughs> my man, baby. <laughs> all right.
1: To to Tyler's favorite portion. of the show.
0: Listen, we got we got some fun things to talk about. We've had fun things to talk about this whole show, and I'm all about it. It's one of my favorite ones. Um, Chris, you've been playing anything this week?
1: No, I didn't even get to pick up God of War this oh, week. Oh,
0: so crazy. let me tell you the story with that one. Uh-oh. I played it. I said I was going to plan on it. That is no longer the plans. I I am three or four trophies short, but they all pertain to the same grouping of things, and it's beating the hardest enemies in the game, and I'm just, as of right now, I am not in the mindset of, I need to beat these. I played, uh, before the Game Awards came on, I played for like two, no, an hour and a half, I think, trying to beat one boss, and I said, you know what, I'm okay with this, the story's great, I might come back and try and platinum this, but right now I am A-okay with not doing that. So, you have to do two of them, and I'm just like, I'm okay. So, yeah. Um, And then I'm playing Destiny, the new season launched this week. I got hit bit with a Destiny bug. I even switched classes to my Warlock now instead of my Titan. Just because they launched Assassin's Creed skins with the Destiny, in Destiny. And I've got a beautiful skin. It's up on my Twitter. And I just, I can't stop playing it because I can't stop looking at the skin. But that's why we're not here. We're here to talk about the Game Awards winners. For article number one, we're going to GameSpot.com by Eddie McCooch. We'll start straight at the top and work our way down. We will skip um, like the esports stuff because that's not any one of our cup of teas. Game of the Year. Elden Ring won that bad boy. Congratulations. We knew it was between Elden Ring and God of War because God of War was going to do it considering how the rest of the night went. But I'm good for Elden Ring because that was a, a phenomenal game. Still need to get back to it though. Best Game Direction was also Elden Ring. It's second award of the night. Well, it's first award of the night was Elden Ring. Uh, best Game Direction. Beating out all of everything else. Best Narrative, God of War Ragnarok. Best Art Direction, Elden Ring. Best Score in Music, Bear McCrary with God of War Ragnarok. The Best Audio Design, God of War Ragnarok. Best Performance, Christopher Judge, God of War Ragnarok. Games for Impact as Dusk Falls. Best ongoing game, Final Fantasy 16, beating out Destiny, which I don't blame it. Best indie was Stray. Best debut indie was Stray. Best community support, Final Fantasy 16. Best mobile game that came out two weeks ago, Marvel Snap. Best VR AR, uh, <laughs> Moss Book 2. Best action, Bayonetta 3. Best action adventure, God of War Ragnarok. Best role-playing, Elden Ring. Best fighting, Multiverses. Best family game, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Best sim strategy, Mario and Rabbid Sparks of Hope. The best esports, Gran Turismo. The best sports racing game, Gran Turismo 7. Best multiplayer, Splatoon 3. Everyone's very confused about that one. Most anticipated for like the third or fourth year in a row, The Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. Content Creator of the Year, Ludwig. Best TV slash Entertainment Adaptation. Went to Arcane League of Legends. Couldn't agree more. Innovation and Accessibility, God of War Ragnarok. And that wraps up all of those awards. So, God of War won six awards. Elden Ring won four, including Game of the Year. So, Which begs the question, how do you win all these other awards as best of, best of, best of? And still don't get game of the year. Great question. Fair question. I don't know. But simple answer. I just don't know.
1: Spreading the love.
0: Yeah. And which it sucks because Horizon Forbidden not uh, Horizon uh Forbidden West, yeah, I keep getting those mixed up. Didn't win a thing. The same thing that happened to it in twenty eighteen, unfortunately.
1: Thank you. They should have held it for next year.
0: Uh, well, next year's just as stacked. I mean, if not more stacked, and I am scared. So, we'll see. We've, there's a lot of games coming out next year.
1: Are Are you scared, or is your wallet scared? My wallet
0: and my financial institution is scared because <laughs> I right now there's so many games coming out starting in January, and it's it's going to be rough, real rough. Um, but I'm excited. Our last news story here for our show. Microsoft has entered into a 10-year deal with Nintendo with Activision for Call of Duty. Going to APNews.com. That's how big it is. If I get the ad off the screen. And this is... They did not give the byline to anybody. Microsoft agreed Wednesday to make the hit video game Call of Duty available for it on Nintendo for 10 years. Should at $69 billion purchase 69 billion dollar purchase of game maker activision blizzard go through an apparent attempt to fit off objections from rival sony the blockbuster merger is facing close scrutiny from regulators in the u.s europe and elsewhere microsoft maker of the xbox game console faces resistance from sony which makes a competing playstation console oh excuse me and has raised concerns with antitrust watchdogs about losing access to what it calls its must-have game title Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, tweeted that Microsoft has, quote, entered into a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. Microsoft president Brad Smith tweeted his thanks to Nintendo, which makes a Switch game console, saying the same offer was available to Sony. Quote, any day at Sony wants to sit down a talk, we'll be happy to hammer out a 10-year deal for PlayStation as well, he said. Smith said that the agreement would bring Call of Duty to more gamers and more platforms, and that's good for competition and good for consumers. Sony's European press office didn't respond to requests for comment, adding to the pressure on Sony. Microsoft also said Wednesday is committed to keeping Call of Duty on the platform, Steam, a digital marketplace for PC games, in an agreement with Steam's operator, Valve. So. Also what this news came with, um, FTC is suing Microsoft for the Activision deal. They were obviously anticipating it. Microsoft did not show up at all. Like, there was no reveals. There was no even talk about anything Xbox related during the Game Awards. Phil Spencer was there, but there was nothing shown, which a lot of people are like, oh, where are the Xbox games at? Like, there's nothing. Like, Game Pass wasn't mentioned, which it usually is always mentioned. Nothing was, like, even spoken about. And everyone thinks because the suing happened the morning of Thursday or Wednesday. And. Everyone says they, some people say it's on purpose because you don't want to give Sony any more fuel to the fire for the suing or anything like that, which it, it baffles me. They're Sony is all like, Oh, you know, exclusives, exclusives, exclusives. You know, we can't have PlayStation, our biggest seller and things like that, but they've had PlayStation with certain deals with Sony for, you know, I think four or five years now. So I mean, you're, they're doing the same thing. They're not saying we're not going to put it on your console we're just saying you have to make a deal with us to do that and which whatever i mean it it hurts microsoft to not put it on playstation because that's a whole nother uh console of gamers that you're losing sales on and i don't i really don't understand all this it's above my head it's all about money antitrust and all that stuff i just i want to be done so we can get to the game announcements uh aaron greenberg i forget what his official job title is he's like lead of marketing or something like that said, we hear you, we know we didn't have any presence at the at the Game Awards, but we're going to have something for you very, very soon. Uh, there's a big rumor going around that there's going to be an Xbox showcase uh, like the second week of January to start the year off right. But I don't know how accurate that is. I hope it's true because, man, it's, everyone has noted, when was the last time an Xbox and Game Studios game was up for a Game Award? I mean, you can't tell me. Halo does not count because that did not do anything last year. And you have Sony had, you know, God of War Ragnarok and um, Horizon Forbidden West. I mean, that's just two games right there off the bat. So, I mean, with the next year with Spider-Man 2 potentially coming out, which I believe it will be. um, There's other games for PlayStation that will be coming out as well. So, I'm like, it's rough. The Xbox has got to step it up. You got all these studios underneath your belt, but you're not producing anything.
1: What's weird is they keep acquiring these studios, and the ones that they don't acquire, they're working out agreements with. Right. But then they're not.
0: Nothing's releasing. I mean, I, I know it's going to take a little bit, but I mean, these studios have had to have been working on something before you bought them. And again, I don't know game development. I don't know what goes on on day to day basis for any of that stuff, but. I mean, you've got nothing. This whole year, not one Xbox Game Studios. You had your partner games come out things like that, but nothing from Xbox Game Studios. And that should tell you everything. So hopefully next year we get some big drops, but I don't know. We'll see. But next year... Well, hopefully come soon, which it does in actually in four weeks, but we've got some new releases coming out this week. Crisis Core Final Fantasy 7 Reunion launches on everything December 13th. High on life for PC, Xbox series, uh, and Xbox One comes out December 13th. I am playing that. It's the Rick and Morty guy. Um, voices all the characters. It's on Xbox Game Pass. I cannot wait for this one. It's my last game of the year that comes out that I'm excited for. Other than The Witcher 3 uh, updated version, next-gen, whatever you want to call it for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, launches December 14th for free if you own the game. So, I've already got it (laughs) redownloaded. Just waiting on it, just to start it again. Um, The reviews drop for it tomorrow on Monday. And from everyone, from the screenshots and things that I've seen, beautiful. So, I can't wait to jump back into that and pretend I'm Henry Cavill. Anyways, everybody, thank you so much for listening and watching. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the NerdWide podcast. Don't forget to share it on all your favorite social media platforms and forget to rate and review this podcast or whatever podcasting service you use. It would help us out and we greatly appreciate it. Something else we greatly appreciate and would help out this podcast, sharing it around social media. The more you share it around, the more eyes it sees, the better, more people get in, more people get in, the better we can make the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Social media, you can follow NerdWide on Twitter at Nerd underscore Wide. You can follow me personally at Ty underscore Haynes. And you can follow Chris there at MavTN7 on Facebook. If you're on that side of things, search in NerdWide Podcast, NerdWide, nerdwide NerdWide.com. where the first thing that pops up. Give us a follow there. Both of those ways are the only way you can find out if we go live if you're not subscribed to us. As always, this has been this week's episode of the NerdWide Podcast. And we cannot wait to talk everything with you next week. Talk to you then.